If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground. I'm your host, Phil. As always, a lot to get to today. Not one, but two big speeches regarding Californians today, uh, or this week, I should say. First, we had uh, Gavin Newsom's State of the State speech that happened earlier this week, as well as President Biden making his first primetime address to the nation on the eve of COVID-19. So, before we get into all that, let's get started with our out-of-the-gate monologue. Ah, yes, the danger of low expectations. Now, after posting a comment on social media about how it was strange to see President Biden using note cards for every time he has to speak in public, I was predictably met with comments from those who disagreed by pointing out that it wasn't a big deal to be prepared. I said, of course, there's nothing wrong with being prepared, especially for long speeches. We've all seen President Obama and President Trump all use teleprompters. But needing little note cards to make it through any short statement in public, it's a little bit of a problem. Fast forward to the point where I challenged them on why President Biden has yet to give a State of the Union address, and I was met with this reply. Bruh, he's in the middle of a pandemic, LOL. This is certainly an issue right now with President Biden. The left has lowered the bar so much for him that making it through a 20-minute primetime speech has been seen as some sort of heroic and brave feat. Now, contrast with this President Trump, who would go toe-to-toe with reporters in press conferences on his way to Marine One in the Oval Office, basically wherever they asked him questions. He would banter with banner with them for, at minimum, 30 minutes without a single note card, all off the top of his head. Now, while President Trump was in office, they would constantly go on about what he wasn't doing while dealing with COVID. They expected him to be everywhere at all times, and for the most part, he was. But just notice the difference in how each president is approached and treated. President Trump, Trump, for all his energy and hard work, was essentially cast as a lazy president who never got anything done. Now, when we have a president in office who seems to actually not be getting anything done, I mean, outside of signing more than 50 executive orders, it's not a problem because, bro, he's in the middle of a pandemic, LOL. President Biden is not expected to juggle too many things at once because he's dealing with a pandemic. Mind you, the hard work has pretty much already been done for him. The Trump administration developed the vaccines he now touts. The Trump administration came up with PPP loans. Numbers for COVID are dropping like a stone. And now President Biden is poised to take the victory lap for, quote, quote, crushing the virus. The left does not have any grand expectations for President Biden. Him simply sitting in the Oval Office and walking his now exiled dogs was enough for them. The man to them is infallible. But this is not new for the left. They keep the bar incredibly low for all their politicians. They excuse any wrongdoing and mistakes by their leaders by making excuses for them. Now look at the situation in New York, for example. Cuomo now has up to seven accusers, and there might be a new one by the time I finish this podcast. Six more than what a Republican would have been allowed before calling for their immediate resignation. The Me Too effort only goes after Republicans and originalist judges. Them's the rules. Here in California, Newsom supporters apologize for his mistakes. 
Most notably, his appearance at a dinner with oil and gas lobbyist Jason Kinney. They defend him at all costs. Defense is like, why won't you let this go? He's working so hard to protect us and keep us safe. You Trumpers always pick the most insignificant things to pick on. Even after a state of the state speech, leftists were trumpeting what a brave and wonderful speech it was. I say the speech was mostly like the stadium behind him. Empty. It was empty on results, empty on delivering on promises, and empty on common sense goals to help Californians. But that won't change his most ardent supporters' minds. They will defend him at all costs. Because the left always holds their politicians to low standards. As long as they have their guy or gal in power, they won. And that's all that matters. Delivering on promises and goals are not important. Power is. And we will see how many supporters come to Newsom's side when the inevitable recall is certified. Two million Californians already don't believe his greasy used car salesman shtick. And maybe it's time for Californians left, right, and center raise their standards for who is in charge so we can actually get back to work fixing this state. So last night, uh, President Biden made his first primetime speech. And it was a short speech, about 20 minutes long, 20 to 30 minutes long, I think. And uh, it started off as a loving grandfather, which then turned into a lecturing parent. Uh, it started off as we're, we come a long way. Here we are. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Things are looking good. We're doing a great job, which was all very uplifting. And then it turned into this much darker tone. Uh, and especially with the way he talked down to the American citizens and probably the most alarming the thing that really kind of sent chills down my spine was when he talked about how if we're all good and we obey and we listen to the rules and we mask up and we all get our vaccine we all listen devoutly to the words of dr fauci you may there's a good chance you may be able to get together with with just some some not do let's not get crazy with some family members in a backyard outdoor barbecue Ooh, doesn't that sound wonderful for 4th of July? You can get together for an outdoor barbecue. Now, of course, with the amount of states that are actually reopening, uh, I believe that most of the country will be celebrating 4th of July as normal. Now we have Texas, Florida, South Dakota, Oklahoma just uh, lifted all their mandates, Arizona as well. And states just seem to be joining every single week. There's more and more states that are really lifting a lot of their capacity. Only states, I I guess, like New York and maybe California, maybe even New York by that time will start to really reopen. Um, California, I believe, will probably hold on absolutely as long as possible, especially with this new green tier that they're coming out with, which isn't really green as in go for any sort of normalcy. It's more like there's still going to be restrictions under green, but green, I guess, is very good. You can still do more. There's more capacity. Maybe you can go to a ball game. There'll be 50,000 people with masks on. I don't know. They haven't come out with the green tier, but either way, uh, I believe California will probably be one of the last ones. So I think it was uh, it was a mixed speech. It was very low energy. It was sleepy. As Sleepy Joe is, it was lecturing. I think it came off wrong to a lot of people. I don't think it was a very unifying speech. The tone definitely turned a lot of people off. You can tell by the memes and the fact that Babylon B is going crazy this morning with the headlines talking about how you have to kiss the ring of Joe Biden uh, if you want to grant, have permission to have an outdoor barbecue um, and also making fun of the way he talked about people and the way he I, I, I called it out immediately when I was watching. I said, oh, what's he talking down to us like we're children if we're good and we obey and we're good little citizens? Maybe we won't get in trouble and we can 
you know, maybe just maybe get together with people for outdoor barbecues. Um, but it wasn't a great speech. I don't think it was a unifying speech. It, it, and I don't think it was something that we could all gather around and say, hey, we did a great job. Let's move forward as a country. We're all going to do this. It, it definitely, uh, I heard from some other people who were big Biden supporters. They thought it was fantastic. They were like, oh, I'm ready to party because I know I can get a vaccine on May 1st. But really, does the vaccine, do, if the vaccine still means you have to wear a mask and you still have to social distance and do all this stuff, then what's the real point of getting a vaccine? I think that's the one thing that maybe, whether it's the federal government or California, that people are really starting to get tired of is that there seems to be no end goal as to how we get out of this. And I think that's what really frustrates people. If you were to say we need to do X, Y, and Z, and then we'll be done with it, then I think people might be a little bit more responsive and they might be a little more cooperative. But I think when you constantly move the goalposts and you give them maybes or sort of probabilities, I think it, the fatigue is starting to wear on people. It's not it's not surprising that people are starting to get really tired of all this. And when they start to hear, for example, here in California, when you hear Gavin Newsom tweeting and talking about how ICUs are down 80% and, and cases are down 70% and it all sounds great, but then there's still counties that are sitting in the purple tier wondering, okay, well, this is all fantastic, but when can I reopen? Which leads me into my next point that I want to talk about, which was Newsom's speech at Dodger Stadium. Uh, now, first off, uh, probably not. I, I mean, I know he went for the whole it's the World Series uh, champion and it's Dodger Stadium. And I guess there's a vaccine center there. Um but I think it it just came off as poor optics. And as a baseball fan myself, you probably didn't help any Padre fans or Giants fans who saw you at Dodger Stadium or maybe people who were Republicans who were Dodgers were not very happy to see Gavin Newsom there. But it was poor optics in my mind. You look at it and the empty stadium, and I posted this on a social media meme about how the empty stadium was really a bad backdrop and a lot of people picked up on that. For example, the empty stadium, you look at it and it reminds people they haven't gone to a baseball game in over a year. There's a lot of people who love going to baseball games. I particularly am one of those people who love to go to a baseball game. I love going to Petco Park and I love going to see the Padres play. I love to see when they come and play, when the Mets come in and play. It's a beautiful stadium. It's nothing like sitting there having a hot dog and a beer and just watching a ball game, the sound of the, it's just, if you're a baseball fan, it's just a, such a slice of Americana. That's what a lot of people look forward to every summer. And especially in San Diego, where it's so integrated into our city, being at a game is a very interactive, it's a big experience. You can go out, you can do this. And it just kind of reminds you of the stuff you can't do. And it reminds you, that you're not likely going to see a baseball game anytime soon, uh, that you won't be able to gather with friends and family like normal anytime soon. So that was the first thing that popped off in my head was that it, it it's just a bad backdrop because it's a reminder to people how empty everything has been. Um, and then, of course, you can contrast with the fact that empty also represents the empty promises that he's hasn't fulfilled. And that's for people even on the progressive side who've been saying, he hasn't been fulfilling a lot of his progressive promises, uh, empty results, stuff that he thought was going to happen, haven't really bore out uh, all the regulations and the lockdowns and all that stuff. Uh, and we're going to talk about that in a second as well. Hasn't really fared much better than states like Florida, which have really been open. So your results, you say they look good, but in reality, they don't look that much better 
than what's going on in Florida. And Florida has a much larger senior population, so they should actually be doing worse than us um, or way worse than us, I should say. So there was a lot of things about it. The empty stadium was definitely a big, I don't know who thought it was a good idea to put him in the empty stadium, but I guess he thought it would look good. I think it came off with bad optics. And the, the, the substance of the speech as well was something that was way too far progressive in my mind. He talked a lot about equity and the most talked about and tweeted line was probably the line that he said, we can't go back to normal because normal means we're going back to a state of inequity. Okay. And I don't think people want to hear we're not going back to normal. Maybe people who believe that there is these big inequity problems and there are a lot of inequity problems in California, which he blamed on a lot of other things. For example, there is a big difference in income disparities or income inequality. And if we were our own country, we would rank somewhere around Guatemala. So there are big income inequality issues or income equality issues. And those are bore out because of a lot of things that Gavin Newsom supports. High regulations, high taxes, high high housing prices, high gas prices. It's, it's really hard to live here. And the living cost is just astronomically through the roof. Um, it's harder and harder for a middle class person to live here because if you're it, there, it's just becoming a, uh, what do they call that? A, a strategized, I'm not looking for the correct word here, stratified uh, society where we have people who are upper middle class up to rich, and then really it's the lower class. So a lot of those things are byproducts of the policies that he's put into place. And it's one of those things where the Democrats always put these things into motion. They create these problems. And then when they have these problems, they turn around and look at the people and say, well, you should elect us and give us more tax dollars and we'll fix it. We promise. Not the fact that they actually were a part of the problem in the first place. So instead of talking about, well, let's be a more free market, uh, open state, let's lower taxes, let's make it so people can really live here, we can build a nice middle class, uh, more people who live here and pay taxes who are middle class, upper middle class, helps the state because then we have more money to do other things. Uh, Those are things, maybe we shouldn't be sending so much welfare, we should fix our welfare system. There's a lot of things that California does wrong and... They don't look at the solutions to those. They think we'll just double down on those. So that's an issue. When he talked a lot about this equity, it was not surprising because it's something he said early on in COVID that this was an opportunity to install a very progressive agenda for California. This is something I think we even talked about on this podcast was that he was going to use this. And a lot of Democrats saw this as an opportunity to install a very progressive agenda for not only California, but for America. And we're starting to see it right now that they're using this as the excuse, as the because if we hold people hostage long enough, they'll beg for freedom and they'll say, whatever you have to do to let me out of here, I don't care. Just, just give me my freedoms back. Uh, if you pass this bill or pass that bill, I don't really care. I just want my freedoms back. But it's not going to be the same America that we remember pre-COVID. And that's really, it's been a societal transformation of epic proportions in just a year of how fast they've changed everything. And they're going to continue 
pushing for this sort of change and this equity and inequity um, as much as they can. They're, they're going to ride this pony as long as possible. But the problem with this is, and again, this is a problem with Gavin Newsom having a smaller and smaller group of people that he is listening to, is that this was a bad speech ahead of a recall that looks like it's absolutely going to happen. Now that we're over 2 million signatures, the third party vendor has supposedly verified 1.8 million signatures. That's still more than what was needed. Uh, even if they start to whittle away at those signatures, there's still a little bit of a cushion. So this was a bad speech ahead of a recall. And because the recalls here in California are so wonky and crazy, this was not a good speech. He could have come out as more of a moderate and he could have talked about how he wanted to really focus on helping small businesses, how he didn't want to increase burdens on small businesses. Maybe he could have said stuff like, I promise not to sign any new taxes or any tax raises. And he instead focused on these big socialist spending issues of spending more money, spending on this and that. And he didn't really come out as too moderate. And that's an issue because if you're going into a recall, you're not only going to have to face off against the people, you're going to have to face off against the list of candidates that comes with it. So for example, just because he's, will probably go to a recall election doesn't mean people are going to look at him and say, well, we're just going to stick with Gavin Newsom. There may may be a new progressive Democrat, even farther progressive that comes out and says, hey, I'm going to make good on all the progressive promises that Newsom never really did. And that may make people want to vote yes so that he can be recalled and they can vote for his replacement. So it's not just Republicans. A lot of people think it's just Republicans. But when you look at the list of people who will probably be running, there could be a good amount of Democrats who bail on Newsom and say, well, I'm going to I want to get this new guy in um, rather than Newsom, because I don't like Newsom, but I'm going to get this new progressive guy in because he looks like he's really going to get stuff done. Uh, Of course, this becomes a whole chaotic scene where there could be like a hundred candidates. I wasn't around 2003. I just hear what people said. It was sort of a chaotic uh, election, but I imagine there'll be a lot of people coming out of the woodworks all of a sudden. And I I imagine past democratic runners, uh, Villaraigosa, I believe the former mayor of LA, I'm sure he'll throw his hat into the ring if there's a recall and imagine a lot more Democrats that come out of the woodworks if there's going to be a recall election because they can then turn their back on Newsom. So it's not just going to be, Democrats versus Republicans in California in this election, this recall election, it's going to be who's really a Newsom supporter and who is a Democrat who wants to see change, who's a Democrat who maybe a Democrat who flips over to a moderate like a Kevin Faulkner or somebody like that. You never know. This is going to be a crazy, crazy recall. And I look forward to covering the entire thing. Uh, But This was a bad speech if this was your last major speech before a recall election was to happen, because this was really your chance to to come out as a great unifier in front of everybody and say, look, we've taken our knocks. We've tried things. I know he tried to say we had mistakes and we own them, but it kind of, of course, in his greasy used car salesman's way, it kind of looked like he was not really sorry about it. He had that, that, that slicks grin on that grin makes you feel like he's not really, (laughs) that he's actually sorry about any of those mistakes. 
Uh, it just the tone was bad. The message was bad. It was not unifying. It was definitely I. He came out and said, "I'm going to appeal to the very far progressive base of the Democratic Party, and that's what I'm going to run with." In reality, I don't think it's going to be good for him because I think there's a lot of Democrats out there who are more moderate, maybe right in the middle, or more pro-business friendly Democrats like a Barbara Bree or someone like that who will come out and say, uh, you know, I don't really want that much progressive stuff. I just want to go back to a, a California that actually works. So not a good uh, speech by any means. It was panned, obviously, by every Republican, California Republican. Uh, Kevin Faulkner came out and said stuff about it. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, I, there's been rumblings about Richard Grinnell. Jumping into the race, he did win an unofficial straw poll of people who are in Sacramento who are recall people. I don't, I don't know if that's really an accurate way to gauge whether people were really that interested in Richard Grinnell. Um, I think people who show up to a recall event like that in Sacramento might be the most conservative of all of them, and they, they that's why they may be going for Richard Grinnell. So it, it's it'll be interesting to see. It's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens. But again, not a great speech uh, for Gavin Newsom, old noodles, right before probably what will most likely happen is a, a recall election. Um, and again, the, the disconnect comes from you can't talk a big game and then the people can't really enjoy those results. OK, you can't talk that big game and say we're doing fantastic and then turn around and say, oh, by the way, you're all still locked down. And you can't do anything. Because I don't know about you, but I'm getting tired of working out at gyms outside, especially when it's 46 degrees in the morning. It's not fun working out in multiple layers and wool gloves just to try and keep blood going through your fingers. So in another article that I was actually shocked to see, and you can read the whole article yourself. As always, I post all the show, uh, the links to any of the articles in the show notes so you can read them for yourself. This was from the Wall Street Journal. It was actually the Wall Street Journal opinion, but the fact that it was printed in the Wall Street Journal, remember the Wall Street Journal is an authoritative news source. So whatever comes from the Wall Street Journal is supposed to be an authoritative source. The title is Vindication for Ron DeSantis. The media vilified him for rejecting harsh lockdowns, but Florida's COVID-19 numbers are better than California's or New York's and its economy thrives. And it goes on to say, it talks about uh, how Governor Cuomo is not doing a great job. The article says, Governor Ron DeSantis took a different approach and was pilloried. He was among the first to lift his state lockdown, adopting something resembling Sweden's strategy of protecting the vulnerable while keeping businesses and schools open. Uh, Florida, quote, Florida man leads his state to the morgue, end quote, read a June headline in the New Republic, quote, Ron DeSantis is the latest in a long line of Republicans who made the state a plutocratic dystopia. Now he's letting his residents die to save the plutocrats. A year after the virus hit the U.S., Mr. Cuomo's luster has faded and Mr. DeSantis can claim vindication. The Sunshine State appears to have weathered the pandemic better than others like New York and California, which stayed locked down harder and longer. Uh, the mortality data bear out this conclusion. The COVID death risk increases enormously with each decade of age. More than 80% of COVID deaths in the U.S. have occurred among seniors over 65. They make up a larger share of Florida's population than any other state except Maine. Based on demographics, Florida's per capita COVID death rate would be expected to be one of the highest in the country. Nope. 
Florida's death rate is in the middle of the pack and only slightly higher than in California, which is a much younger population. Florida's death rate among seniors is about 20% low, lower than California's, and 50% lower than New York's, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, Mr. DeSantis took a smarter approach. His administration halted outside visitations to nursing homes and bolstered their stockpile of personal protective equipment. Florida's government also set up 23 COVID-detected dedicated nursing centers for elderly patients discharged from hospitals. Nursing home residents who tested positive couldn't be isolated in their facilities were sent to these COVID-only wards. Florida set up field hospitals to handle a surge in cases that models predicted in the spring, although it never materialized. Uh, like most governors, Mr. DeSantis shut down most businesses when President Trump issued the guidelines. Uh, the governor kept restrictions on non-essential businesses for several more weeks, but he let more places stay open than other states, including childcare facilities, construction sites, hotels, and beaches. National media published photos of crowded Florida beaches. Quote, DeSantis in Florida let everybody go crazy over spring break, CNN's Chris Cuomo, the New York governor's brother, said in June. He then explored all the virus to back to wherever wherever they want to go, okay? But Florida's infection rate during April stayed on par with California, where most beaches and residential construction were restricted. Quote, I was not convinced that a lot of these lockdown policies were making a huge difference as data came in, Mr. DeSantis says. Florida began a phased reopening in early May, allowing restaurants, barbershops, nail salons, gyms, and other retailers to operate initially at 50% capacity, provided they follow social distancing and sanitary protocols. Bars and pubs were later allowed to open at 50% capacity, and limits for other businesses were increased. Mr. DeSantis also let theme parks, important Florida employers, and tourist attractions reopen at reduced capacity. SeaWorld Orlando and Universal Studios reopened in June. Quote, Disney World took a little longer, but that was just because of their own business decisions. California government still hasn't allowed the Disneyland or Universal Studios themes park to reopen. Uh, Florida's cases started to climb in June as people socialized more, including at graduation party, summer cookout, and on Father's Day. Experts and media castigated the governor for reopening too fast and too soon. Despite the guidelines and the recommendations to open up and carefully and prudently, some states skipped over those and just opened up too quickly, the National Institute of Health Anthony Fauci said in July. Certainly, Florida, I know, you know, I think jumped over a couple of checkpoints. But cases spiked across the Sun Belt, including in California, which maintained much stricter business restrictions. Still, political pressure intensified on Mr. DeSantis to shut his state down again. He refused. Quote, I'm like, no, we're not going to do a lockdown. It doesn't work. It compounds problems, he says. The virus is not, quote, going to be governed by simply closing someone's business or not letting people go to work. Um, and then in September, he lifted capacity restrictions on restaurants and bars. Uh, he overrode. He also overrode local jurisdictions that tried to keep them closed. Uh, teachers unions. And all it goes on to talk about. Uh, Mr. DeSantis also required local school districts to offer in-person instruction five days a week in the fall, though parents could choose remote learning instead. The union sued us, but we beat them in court, Mr. DeSantis says. The teachers union in large school districts in California, meanwhile, have refused to return to classrooms. They claim schools are unsafe. But per capita, COVID cases among children are about the same in Florida and California. Article goes on to talk more and more about this. Uh... And it goes on to talk about the state of the economy in, uh, let's see, in Florida, 
When cases began to rise again and fall, Democratic governors like Mr. Cuomo and California's Gavin Newsom tightened business shutdowns and even sought to limit Thanksgiving gatherings to 10 people. Mr. Cuomo griped that police weren't strictly enforcing his household limits. Uh, the fall and winter lockdowns don't appear to have made any difference in the virus spread. Between November 1st and February 28th, there were 5.8 new cases, 100 people in New York, 6.4 in California, and only 5 in Florida, where businesses could stay open at full capacity. Employment decline in Florida 4.6% in 2020 compared with 8% in California and 10.4% in New York. Leisure and hospitality jobs fell 15% in Florida versus 30% here in California. And it goes on to talk about how there are more and more people who seem to be moving to Florida, which I don't blame them. Uh, And then real estate across the state is booming. Home sales increased 20% in the last six months of 2020 year over year, while the median sales price rose 14.4%. Construction wages and salaries during the third quarter were 3.2% higher in Florida year over year, but 4.8% lower in California and 9.3% lower in New York. Quote, when you talk to home builders, what they'll tell me is that they've had the best year, Mr. DeSantis says. They've noticed more people moving from California than they ever have. So, for the fact that Wall Street Journal has come out and said something like this is a big deal. Because I think it's finally vindication for Ron DeSantis. It was a little touch and go there for a little bit. I'm not going to lie. It did look like they were rising. But this is the stuff that I hope when we look back on all of this that happened is that we don't look back on this and think that lockdowns work. I I hope that there's plenty of science and people who look at this years down the line and say, this stuff didn't work. It didn't stop it. And maybe it slowed the spread. Maybe it gave us a temporary pause to get things under control. But in the long stretch of things, it didn't really make that much of a difference. Maybe it made a difference in the first 15 days when the entire country went inside and didn't really do anything. And we kind of gave it our healthcare system a a chance to breathe a little bit. Hopefully we're more prepared next time as well. That's the other thing. I hope we're more prepared here in California as well as nationally. And we've talked about before on this podcast that uh, there used to be an enormous amount of remote hospital beds that Governor Schwarzenegger had put into place in case there was a national, like a state emergency, like an earthquake or a fire or anything like that, or a pandemic that he had set up that you could get a whole bunch of beds to a location really quickly would have been very useful in a place like LA or San Francisco that was really struggling with the coronavirus in the beginning. So I hope that we're more prepared for it next time. That's the other thing. I hope we learn from this moving forward that we need to be prepared for the next pandemic or epidemic that will hit this country so that we never have to do this again. I hope we learn that the FDA can get vaccines a little out a lot quicker if they actually remove a lot of the impediments and the regulations. Uh, but also, I hope they look at this and say, let's look at California, New York versus Florida. You know, they, they can only really look at Florida. You could throw South Dakota in there, but South Dakota's population is so different from California, New York, and Florida because they're, they're for the most part, those three states, California, New York, and Florida, are very popular. They have major cities. They're, they're big hubs of tourism. Um, so I hope people look at this down the line and say, this stuff didn't work. It didn't make that much of a difference. And while some people may say it was, it was if it was worth 
just this life or that life. In reality, a lot, again, we've talked about this, that there's a lot of mental health issues going on. They've seen that opioid deaths have risen from, I think, 150 a day to now 200 a day. Uh, the FDA actually had to issue a warning that Zoloft, the anti-depression pill, is on a short list and that, that they're running in short supply of Zoloft because so many people are requesting it. This is not, th- these are the, these are really the unintended consequences of the lockdown that a lot of people don't really talk about. Um, domestic abuse is up, child abuse is up, suicides are up. There's a lot of things that we're not really talking about. So I hope people, when the dust settles from COVID, enough people can look back on this. Hopefully they look back on the example that Florida has set and the example that California has really set and say, look at these two different states that took completely different paths and did it really make that much of a difference when they can look back on the other deaths that were not associated with COVID stuff that was like suicide or was there an increase of domestic abuse? Uh, Was there an increase in depression? Was there an increase in opioids use? Uh, Was there an increase of overdoses and alcoholism? Was there these increases uh, you know, when you cut people off from the gym and they can't go be healthy, uh, those are things that I think we're going to have to look at down the line. So it was kind of refreshing to see the Wall Street Journal vindicate Ron DeSantis um, and everything he did. I give him credit. I mean, he this could have gone horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. And uh, it could have gone really bad for Ron DeSantis. But, he, you know, I'm not going to say he rolled the dice. He probably was advised by a lot of smart people who said, look, we don't really see any that much of a difference. You know, we're looking at Sweden as our example. Let's just do Sweden. And if they followed Sweden's example, Sweden may come out as the as the winner of all this. They may have proven that the next time there's an epidemic that comes around, really, you just have to take the people who are most vulnerable and put them aside and say, okay, you're going to be over here and we're going to take care of you and protect you. But the rest of the people who are not at risk can really just go back to what they were doing. Um, so the next story I want to talk about, let's see, ba, 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 ba. we'll talk about this really quickly for all the people who thought conspiracy theorists, that people were crazy, that they were going to use, uh, that when president Biden was going to get into office, that he was going to issue. And especially if the Democrats took Congress, that they were going to sign into legislation, a huge COVID relief bill that would effectively help bail out a lot of these blue states and a lot of these blue cities. And now the San Francisco Chronicle is reporting that SF's budget will be saved from painful cuts thanks to federal stimulus. But what about the next one? Hopefully there isn't a next one. Hopefully things are going back to normal. Uh, The federal stimulus package likely to be signed by President Biden this week, which he already signed as of today, projected uh, the majority of San Francisco projected it will erase its projected $650 million budget deficit over the next two years, saving City Hall from having to make painful service cuts and layoffs for now. While the federal stimulus is a boon for the economy in the short term, it will not solve all the city's financial woes. San Francisco's ultimate recovery heavily depends on how quickly parts of the local economy bounce back from tourists visiting the city to employees returning to downtown offices. Uh, There's going to be a big uncertainty over the next two years. How quickly will the economy recover? And in the short term, that's largely based on upon how quickly health conditions will improve. 
So it's not surprising. I'm going to let you read the entire article. This was stuff that they said you were a conspiracy theorist for saying stuff like this, that they were going to let they were going to bail out cities that have been locked down and stuck with the lockdown to make it not hurt as much. And San Francisco has been effectively locked down since March, and they were locked down in the face of dwindling numbers, even though their numbers were really, really low. They still stayed locked down. They didn't really do anything. Now they're finally hurtling towards the orange tier. Uh, but this was this this was one of those things where leaders have to make decisions, and it can't just be at the expense of well, the federal government is going to bail us out. And I'm not surprised that this happened. I'm certainly not surprised that Nancy Pelosi's district was bailed out, and now it's like as if COVID never happened. Because why not? Let's just bail them out and give them a crap ton of money. And now, does this give them the incentive to go forward and say, okay, well, we fixed our budget deficit, but let's move forward? Or do they think that there's going to be another federal stimulus around the bend? And that's what's scary from these blue cities and these blue states is hopefully this doesn't happen again. Hopefully we're not printing another $2.2 trillion or $1.9 trillion. Because essentially we're going to hit a point where inflation becomes a problem. You can't just keep introducing more and more money into the money supply and not expect it to have some sort of uh, negative result. And as much as they want to tell you that and I'm no economist, but when you start printing more and more money sooner or later, it's going to have a negative effect on the dollar, especially in a state like California, where the cost of living is already so high and the price of gas is already so high. If your dollar doesn't even stretch that far as is, and then it's stretched even less because of inflation, this is going to be a problem down the line. So I'm not surprised that uh, San Francisco is getting bailed out. I did see a headline that LA is also getting bailed out. So two cities that really, really just follow the lockdown and they're not going to pay for it. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to learn from their mistake because they just got bailed out from the federal government. And, uh, you know, Sleepy Joe was able to, to bail them out. So final thing I want to talk about today, if you think AB5 and Lorena Gonzalez is awful, awful legislation that was rejected even by California voters has died a horrible death. Guess what? It's back, but this time it's going to be federal law. So that's awesome because the supremacy clause means it'll apply for the entire country. Uh, and it's in the name this time called the PRO Act. And they're talking about the PRO Act as if it's this wonderful workers' rights um, bill. Uh, in reality, it is AB5 being forced or hoisted upon the federal government so that they can turn it into federal law. And if you remember a little bit about AB5, I can talk about it real quickly. Uh, there was a case law that was that came down, um, what was known as the AB5 test. So under the AB5 test, the following three conditions must all apply in order to classify somebody providing services for your company as a freelance contractor. One, the worker is free from the control and direction of the hiring entity in connection with the performance of the work. Two, the worker performs work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. Three, the worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as that involved in the work performed. Uh, if those conditions are not met, workers must be treated as employees. 
And as we saw when AB5 was passed, it hurt a lot of freelance contractors. Everybody from musicians to artists to not, I mean, it went after the rideshare. It was directly applied to the rideshare. That was its whole intended purpose was because they want to go after Uber and Lyft. But in reality, it hurt a lot of freelance jobs. People who liked being freelancers all of a sudden were no longer freelancers. It did pass the House with a vote of 225 to 226 with only one Democrat. Representative Henry Salar Salar of Texas, he voted no, where he said, why did I vote against the PRO Act? I read the bill and here's why I vote to protect workers. This bill would destroy small businesses and thousands of Texas jobs in our communities who are struggling to stay alive during this pandemic. Uh, It goes on to, he has a whole thread about why. The The Most scary thing, though, and this is, again, follow the money. As I always say on this podcast, if you really want to figure out why a law is passed or why something is happening, follow the money. And in this case, just as in California, it's not surprising that if this is passed, uh, not only will it implement the ABC rule, it also undermines the state level right to work laws. And that stops unions from requiring workers to join unions and pay union dues if they do not want to be represented by them. So as in California, it forces people to become employees and then those employees become targets of the unions because then if you're part of the union, you pay dues and then the union can donate to, guess what? Democrat politicians, it all comes back around. If you don't put the two and two together, You can see why just follow the money, why they want to do this. They say it's in the name of workers' rights, but we all know if unions, if unions donated overwhelmingly to Republicans, stuff like this would never happen because the Democrats wouldn't want to give unions more power. They want to give unions more power and money because those unions turn around and fund them. So Lorena Gonzalez who started this whole AB5 thing is now getting a national platform with her, her bill um, implementing this ABC test. And it's bad enough as a business owner myself. It's, it's, it's bad enough because if I want to hire somebody or if I want to bring on a freelancer, because most of the legal world is becoming more and more freelanced because now you can just, the gig economy has actually taken over a lot of the legal services and you don't have to really hire anybody. You can just hire a lot of people on the gig economy I have to hire a lot of people out of state because I couldn't have done it under AB5, which hurts jobs and money and the economy here in California. And this is going to hurt all over the country. So hopefully, I I don't know if it might pass. I don't know. I I hope this is one of those cases where Cinema and Joe Manchin say this is a bad idea and we don't want to implement it. And it just it, it dies in the Senate. But there's a lot of stuff that they have been ramming through. Congress, and I'll I'll give them credit. This just goes to show you, okay? And this is something I was thinking about. Look at how the Democrats, even with a very, very, very narrow majority, well, it's actually tied-tied, but it's because they have a vice president who can be a tiebreaker. Look at how, with even this close of a Congress, how much the Democrats are ramming through. And if you don't want to think that People like Paul Ryan, who were establishment rhinos, were blocking President Trump in the first two years when we had the Senate majority 
and we had the House majority and all we got through were tax cuts. Look at how much the Democrats have been passing and ramming through in the first hundred days of President Biden's administration. So that's just the thought that you you can't trust a lot of these establishment on both sides. You can't trust establishment Democrats and you can't trust the establishment rhinos who are blocking a lot of this stuff. Um, but hopefully that changes. I think President Trump did a good job waking up a lot of people to how bad the Republican Party really is. And there is a little bit of infighting going on right now, but we'll see in the end. So anyway, pro act, keep an eye on it. Californians, it's so bad Californians rejected it. And somehow Democrats think it's a fantastic idea. And of course, all every single Democratic congressman voted for it from California. Not surprising. And they think now we just need to make it a federal law. So this is the stuff that when they say California leads the way and, and the rest of the country follows, this is the bad stuff that follows. So a lot we covered today, as always. We This was a lot of stuff to cover for today. If you ever want to send in a question uh, or a topic you'd like to be discussed on the show, go to California Underground at ProtonMail.com. You can follow me on Instagram where we have the Coffee in California Politics every Wednesday morning. It's more of a conversational sort of thing where you can just hang out, we chat, you ask questions. We have some coffee, 9 a.m. every Wednesday morning. We talk about what's going on in California politics, and we can also talk about national politics as well. If you ever want to leave a voice message, uh, like calling into the show, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash California underground. And that's about it. So until next time, I'll see you on the next one. For listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it, and follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 